In this podcast, Rich Taylor from NASDAQ talks about the future of employee experience and work 2.0. So stay tuned. Welcome everyone to Work 2.0 podcast. Today we have with us an interesting guest, um, Richard Taylor, a brief bio. So Rich is a VP of employee experience at NASDAQ, where he is helping to transform people's relationship with work by reimagining everything from values, culture, leadership, recognition, career, to even the day-to-day work environment process, processes and tools. Prior to NAT NASDAQ, Rich has held leadership roles in Palo Alto, Network, LinkedIn, Applied Materials, Reuters, and several startups. So with that, uh, Rich, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Vishal. Great to be here with you. Fantastic. And I think one thing that um, I found fascinating when, when I was, uh, when I was uh, looking at your profile was... Uh, employee experience i think uh, very few times we have guests on our on our show who actually are impacting one of the most critical area in in the in the future of work uh, employees right so they we have heard a lot of uh, theorists about how the recruiting should change how the hr should function and all that but um, it would be refreshing um, to have someone from the employee experience and that too from a company who is known for its data, right? So NASDAQ, I think one of the things that um, it's always fascinating to talk to companies uh, like yours would be like you have a first mover advantage in, in data. And and most of the people, in, interesting that we talk to uh, who had been guests on, many of them are, are guests on the show, they are pioneering this idea of data and their business model is not that. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's remarkable to... And, and thank you so much um, for stepping up and, 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 and agreeing to add to the conversation that we have started. I, I do appreciate that. My pleasure. So why don't we, uh, we, talk to, we talk about your journey? Like what brought you here? Like what, what's your background? So people are usually amused to hear that this guy in corporate America working here in midtown Manhattan, New York for NASDAQ, um, started out many years ago as an academic, and I did my PhD in Buddhism and comparative wow. religion, and I lived briefly in India uh, in a monastery in Bodhgaya, which is in northern India, not too far from Varanasi, or the Americans call it Benares, or Benares, right? So I started out in academia, and through various highways and byways, found myself working for uh, a small company that did instructional design, found my way into the broader world of learning and development, and then got into the many areas that in HR we would call talent, like recruiting Mm. and performance management and uh, succession planning, inclusion and diversity, all the good HR stuff. But what I think, you you raised this already, what I think is cool about the role that I get to be in now for NASDAQ, the employee experience for me is something quite different than the traditional HR view. My role in other companies might be called talent management. Mm-hmm. which to me is how the company does things to the talent, like we manage the talent, maybe even manipulate the talent, measure the talent. We're doing all these things to the talent. And I think about the employee. Do they want those things? Do they want to be managed and measured and all these things? So I get to look at this now from the employee experience point of view. As an employee, I'm an employee too, right? Mm-hmm. What do I want? What's my career path? What kind of manager do I want? 
What things at this company can do that would help me be successful? What does great leadership look like? What would be a great team to have around me? So it's almost a, a kind of a Copernican revolution in, in the business world from top down, I'm going to manage the talent, to the employees saying, hey, why don't you put me first? You put customers mm -hmm. first. There's lots of customer experience roles. Why aren't there more employee experience roles looking at me and my needs and what I need to be successful? So it's, it's been a long journey to get here, but I'm really, really excited to have kind of role and to have a CEO who, Adina Freeman, she really, really cares about this. And I get time with her because this is a hot topic for her. Interesting. So uh, from your past journey, right, what did, it's fascinating, you, you talked about Buddhism and, and, and you had some, some background uh, in, in, in that. How has that prepped you for a role in employee experience beyond the point that you, you, you would be rather calm when it comes to chaotic employee scenarios? So uh, what did, how has it has helped yeah. you? The meditation training has definitely helped in the, in the fast-paced modern world. But um, I would also say, and this may be controversial, I don't know, you can tell me, many people think of Buddhism like a religion, like it's Hinduism mm -hmm. or Christianity or Judaism or Islam. I don't think of Buddhism as a religion. Maybe for some people it is. For me, it's a philosophy that's very, very factual, based on you know, what you see around you and the actual observations, like watching your breath or watching your thoughts. Mm. It's not, for me, a lot of belief in things that you can't see. It's actually very pragmatic and very real. How that affects my life today is I don't sit in my office and say, I wonder what employees would like to see next. I, I mm. have some good, good ideas. Maybe they will like them. I go out, I get data, I travel a lot for the company and I really enjoy it. And I spend time with our employees. I was just in Sydney, Australia recently, I spent a week there doing some training, but also holding what we're calling these listening sessions. And I sit with employees and I sit with managers and I say, how's it going? Like, I don't have an agenda. And at first people are like, oh no, the senior HR guys out here, are we having a restructure? Are we getting fired? And I'm like, no, 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 I just, I wanna talk to you. How's it going? What's going really well? What could NASDAQ do that would be better? And every company has areas they're trying to improve, and so are we. And so as people get to know me and trust me, they're really sharing. They're opening up, and they're sharing what's on their mind. And it's not crazy stuff, like I want three times the salary. It's more mm -hmm. like I would like to talk about my career. What's my future mm -hmm. here? What's next for me? And so I'm very, very factually gathering from people all around the world, and we're now moving to a, a quarterly employee survey. Very short, mm -hmm. 25 questions, but very, very data-driven. I just presented on this literally an hour ago for my CEO at our company town hall on what was the data? What were the insights from this most recent company survey? So I'm really spending a lot of time listening carefully and trying to not just get data, but get insight, get proactive insights, maybe even predictive insights. Mm -hmm. If I did X, Y, and Z, would I extend our retention, our average retention by a year? Would I be able to get managers who are ready to move up sooner if, if we invested in these things? So this is kind of a long way of saying the Buddhist connection for me has been very focused on the pragmatic, the here and now, the data-driven, the factual. I don't have to make up stories because I have a lot of data, and that, that's really important. Interesting, interesting. And um, tell us what NASDAQ is for, for, for our, our listeners and viewers uh, who have not known about the company. Well, and this is, this is interesting too. Many people think of NASDAQ as a stock market. Um, we do a lot more than that. But when I first was accepting the role here, I was talking to friends. And one of my friends said, is that actually a company? I just thought it was like a, a stock ticker. I just thought it was something on my phone. And I'm like, well, you know, there's people behind that who produce the data. 
So we are known for stock markets. We uh, run directly about a couple dozen stock markets around the world, not just the NASDAQ market in New York. We run the Philadelphia Stock Exchange, San Francisco, Iceland, Helsinki, Stockholm. We run a lot of these markets directly. But the, the growing part of our business, and I think the cool part for your listeners, is that we're deeply a tech company. We have technology that over 100 of the world's marketplaces is running on the Tokyo mm-hmm. Stock Exchange and many other markets, even like horse racing and gambling markets are running on our technology. So we're, we're a tech company that also does a lot of consulting and advising. We will advise companies how to go IPO. We will advise companies and we have tools that we sell around you know, being a better board, having a really great board, managing risk, et cetera. So we do a lot of different corporate support roles as well, corporate services. So we're famous for the stocks. That's great. It's good to have a strong brand. But we're really a tech and an advisory company, and we have different lines of business that we report on each quarter. Interesting. And I think one thing that um, I, I found fascinating, uh, and, and, and you, you touched briefly upon it, is uh, so you talked about talent management, right? So we hear a lot about talent management. We, uh, we hear a lot about, uh, we have heard about customer experience. And employee experience now we have started to hearing about and then obviously you guys were um sort of ahead in that game in 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 in, in figuring out um that the employee perspective in in, in their experience with, within the within the corporation so over over your journey um into this hr rhymes how have you seen uh, or how are you seeing um, employee engagement evolve so i think it's been an amazing journey, and I'm glad that people have done this work before me that I could just ride on their coattails. But I, I think even 20 years ago, there wasn't really a KPI around people. So mm-hmm. businesses have key performance indicators on market share and revenue and operating margin and all these good financial metrics. I think the financial industry, the, or for financial world, is, is many centuries more advanced than HR. HR is kind of a new field. In fact, it used to be called personnel not that many years mm. ago. And so I think for the first time about 20 years ago, we began to have this new data set called engagement or employee sentiment. Mm. And at first it was, I don't know, taken that seriously. Oh, employees are feeling happy. They're feeling sad. And I think it's evolved to be more than a feeling now. There's been a lot of research on correlating employee engagement, not only with people things like retention or productivity, but also customer satisfaction customer loyalty, and outright profit, and including share price movement. And you and I were talking before we, we kicked off here that a lot of companies' valuations are not purely based on their revenue or even their product roadmap. It's based mm-hmm. on their brand. It's based on the perception of value creation. And a lot of it has to do with their people. And are they having reputation for being innovative or being cutting edge? So I think engagement was the first kind of people-oriented metric or KPI that a company could say, we call people our most valuable asset, but how do we actually measure that? And now we're getting a little more sophisticated. But like I said, this, this field of human resources is many, many, many centuries younger than mm. financial accounting, which has had, you know, since the Renaissance, hundreds of years to perfect, you know, financial formulas. This people thing is, is kind of new and we're learning a lot as we go. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Interesting. And I think uh, 
one thing that 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 we hear a lot about um, nowadays and and so when we talk to hr executives right so they are so we divide ourselves uh, these guys into two broad buckets so if i say hey what how would you see your employees right so one hr bucket see them as a kleenex you use them you throw them off onto the next next sheet and then get on the job right the other vertical CS, see look at look at look at them as as, as a thriving bunch right so you put it there you you nurture it and and they blossom and they probably give back it's a lot more expensive a lot more whatever but it it just gets them more 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 mileage um, uh, on on a longer run so which which bandwagon do you think that you 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 lie on and 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 what's your perspective about uh, about this so I'm I'm definitely not on the first bandwagon. I I even kind of bristle at this term human resources because it makes mm. me think that humans are like coal or lumber. Mm. They're these resources that kind of get consumed in the process of running a business, and that's not true. I actually think of employees a lot like customers. I mean, like mm. really literally. Mm. I think of employees as customers who have choices. So these customers have a choice to work here and do the kind of work they're doing with the people they're doing it with or they can go down the road. And I've spent most of my career in Silicon Valley, not here in New York. Mm. And you know, literally, when I was at LinkedIn, like literally across the street, you could see them was the Google campus. And mm. so if we had LinkedIn engineers who weren't feeling very good about their situation, they would walk across <laughs> the street to Google and say, I'm available to start on Monday. So it's, it's truly a competitive place. And if we think that we can you know, use up our employees and toss them away, we're mistaken. But I also think that we have to stop this perception that we are going to do things to employees. They're not objects to be managed in that way. And I think that's mm. old school thinking. I think much more appropriate is, is the way we treat customers, putting them first and building around them. And so treating employees as people who have views, who mm. have probably better ideas than senior management on how to make things better. Senior mm. management sees, you know, from the top and the broad. But the, the guys and the gals closest to the work and closest to the issues, they know what to do. They know what to make things better. They just need good leadership to understand the direction to go in and some ways to prioritize. So I really do think that we should get rid of this term human resources and mm. move into more people team, people operations or the, or the people partners or whatever, and put people at the center of our business because we are knowledge workers. This is not for most of us manufacturing. We're working in the knowledge industry. Well, who has the knowledge is the people. And we should treat them really like gold. They they are the center of our business. Without them, nothing's possible. Interesting. And um, I I want your perspective on one one more interesting thought that 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 we are seeing a lot uh, from from our vantage point. So um, I'm coming from the technology side of the world, right? So we see a lot of technology. Uh, technology. The businesses are in, relying more on technology nowadays for connecting their business, right? You, uh, your biz, your company pretty much rely on technology for for majority of the business. Now uh, we see that technology shelf life is shrinking when it comes to they're evolving faster. We are we are off to the next and the next. Whether it means going to the cloud and faster and faster. Now AI is is is, is a it's a trendy keyword. Now, if you wear your employee experience hat, right? Employees, um, the way they get re-educated, the way they get retooled um, in, in in an enterprise, you 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 used to get a lot of time before the technology really obsoletes and and you you can run your course, get get there and whatever, right? 
nowadays it's very difficult to catch up right so uh, interestingly when we started researching about within within our course we uh, we put out a survey of uh, around 7000 wor- workers who are mid level uh, folks and we asked them um like how this is your this is your which uh, job number like is it your first job second job third job right so we the average was third or something uh, and and within 10 years of their experience or something and then uh, we asked them like how do you ensure that you're employable right going forward and and do you really ask your employers or the next car next company sure you that you will give them a, a beautiful job to work on but how would the company ensure that you would stay employable and yeah. almost everyone said it's not it's not the culture it's not in the conversation uh, like now if you wear your employee experience hat how much are you concerned about the the idea that the employees could get obsolete if they don't they're not trained and then the company itself which represents these employees together would start getting obsolete as well it's a very strong concern and i'll I'll go back to my data because i just reported on our first Mm. quarter employee survey and our employee experience and we have an engagement index and it tells us you know a Mm. couple questions that are key engagement all the other questions we ask are factors that have high or low correlation and like i know the actual coefficients down to like six decimal points pretty cool stuff but what surprised me was the top two drivers of engagement at nasdaq and i'm going to give you inside information the number one driver was i feel i belong at nasdaq and the nice. number two driver was i see good career opportunities for me here Beautiful. at nasdaq if people answered either one of those questions positively they also had an overall high engagement and if they answered those questions negatively they had an overall low engagement and that tells me i really have to focus on this so you already know this from your own experience you just shared it but i think really employees have got to change their thinking and, and HR has to change their thinking. We can no longer guarantee people jobs for life and we all know this. It's mm. about employability. So how can the company take responsibility for employability, but how can the employee take responsibility, right? I think a lot of companies and HR are kind of paternalistic. They treat employees mm. like children. I will mm. spoon feed you. I will give you these benefits. I will tell you what to do. I will train you. Companies definitely have a responsibility to create a good environment. But I'd like to see employees and their own experience be much more activist. Hey, I need X. Mm. I'm in this job and the technology is changing. Where can I get it? Maybe it's training inside the company. Maybe it's actually moving too quickly for training. I'm not even sure how much training you can do on cutting edge AI and blockchain. Probably YouTube videos, right? But it won't be a mm. training class with a degree. Maybe you can get something. But every six months, it's, it's obsolete, right? So getting that skill to go out and find it. I, I actually teach a, a workshop on career development for my, for my team here, and we teach them how to build your network. It's not just going to a training class, sitting quietly while people lecture at you. It's finding out what is, what's the newest article or book on that. What's the newest YouTube video? What's happening when I do a Google search? I just met this guy, Vishal Kumar. What does he know about this field? I need to connect mm-hmm. with him and go have lunch and learn from him. So it's no longer traditional learning like you had when you were a child in school. We were small, right? Now that we're adults, how do we create this future for ourselves? So I think of this, and there's actually a book called The Alliance. It's written by mm. one of our LinkedIn founders. Mm. And I, I, I think it's a really great resource where you think about your time with your company as an alliance. You and the company are allied or allied toward a common mm. goal and a common vision for the time that you are together. 
and the company has some responsibilities and you have some responsibilities, but it's not one side or the other. But to your point, if, if employees don't have that proactive kind of go get them mentality of I'm going to get learning, I'm going to get development, I'm going to build my network, I'm going to get a mentor. If they don't do that and they sit around waiting for it to be spoon fed, uh, I think about like little birds in the, in the little birdie's nest. If you don't spread your wings and fly, you might end up starving in that nest. You can't you can't sit there forever while mommy brings you things to eat, right? That's I think it's so it's it's music to my ears. I think thank you for sharing that. It's 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 remarkable. Um, uh, we don't hear that in a lot of HR conversations. Um, what we are hearing now, so I do appreciate you for for being in the forefront of this um, this sort of interesting revolution, and and, and I do appreciate that. Uh, one more thing I want to talk talk to you about is your zombie HR article. Um, what 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 ignited that? If you can, if you can walk us through that, and and to our listeners and viewers, we'll put a link about the article on 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 our description as well. Sure. So you're referring to this article I wrote maybe a month ago on on LinkedIn called uh, Zombie HR. And what ignited that, I think, is is being in this role. I've been at NASDAQ for only eight months now. And so as I'm getting more into this role and understanding more about what I think about the employee experience, what I'm hearing about the employee experience, I've seen at NASDAQ, but even also from earlier in my career and many of my colleagues at other companies, lots of you know traditional HR thinking. Well, we have a policy for that. Or mm. um, we have a process, or you know, you didn't write your performance review on time. Neither you nor your manager wrote your annual review, and now the HR, the police, and they're after you. You're late. You didn't do it on time. You didn't fill it out the right way. And I think this is this is old school. This is way mm. of thinking about the past. Like HR has built this this process, or we built this paperwork, and you need to follow it our way. Again, it's top down. Mm. I wrote something that you don't find valuable, which is why you don't prioritize it. But I'm going to chase after you. A whole different way of thinking about this is again the employee experience. Most employees want feedback. They want to be high performers. Filling out a form may not be the way that works for them. Mm. Maybe it's giving them tools to go have a chat with their manager, and you know, getting them on the manager's calendar every week, every two weeks for half an hour. And it could be as simple as, hey, Vishal, here's a template of eight questions to ask your manager every time you meet. How am I doing? What's going well? What could be better? Why would you wait till the end of the year to get feedback on this, right? So if HR has built a process that is kind of still stumbling around like a zombie from 30 years ago and you can't kill it off, I'm like, guys, we got to have a zombie apocalypse and, and kill off the zombie. So what, what triggered it for me was just seeing evidence of bureaucracy and old ways mm. of thinking, and then talking to employees who are like, you're not helping me. HR is not helping me. I want HR to make me successful, not make me fill out a lot of paperwork. And it kind of culminated for me years and years of hearing that and thinking, how do I put that in words? How do I frame examples of zombie HR? You probably read the article. Several mm. examples of like, stop doing this. And I try to take the exact same scenario and make it more human focused, people first, Make people successful. Don't make them follow some old, you know, seven-page form to get what they want. Interesting. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. So. I- one, uh, I think one interesting conversation that I, that I can recall, uh, 
one of the chief people officer of a fortune 50 company and i was i was talking to him and, and he said um vishal we are at a very interesting uh, place in time and, and and his point of view was that this company has lived hundreds of years we have lived through a lot of changes transformation uh, depression and what and what not we existed because of certain set of rules or at least we think that we existed because certain set of rules we have built a culture that we are very close to culture as as an as a people officer it's my responsibility to ensure the compliance and adherence to the culture now we are seeing this um very teenage look culture in which um uh, we are seeing uh, killing the hierarchy um and like different organizational structure templates and it has it has sent all of the hr into tailspin the many of the companies are coming up with totally radical um, structures that you cannot scale and we have learned in a very bookish way over the next last 40 years that there's this is follow if you follow this you somehow be more predictable which is always good for a market or, or for a public trade company so what is what is your take um, you're also an an, an 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 executive at an uh, for an employee uh, for for an uh, hr or people organization what is your take on the old bureaucracy hierarchy uh, vis-a-vis this new maybe unproven look nice shiny not tested enough model like how would you how would you strike the balance between the two uh, uh, well i'll answer that question in a moment but the first question is you know what do i think of all this i'm delighted this is an mm. example of zombie stuff like hierarchical mm. thinking do the people mm. at the top of the company including myself do we have all the answers like am i omniscient do i know everything the answer is mm. no obviously not um so i think it's time to innovate this whole thing and you raise a great point about scale it is much more scalable to get people to fill out forms in the way you design them and mm. measure, you know, whatever the outputs of those forms are. But it's not innovative. It's not encouraging. I, I like to think about the work that we do as almost kind of like software. If employees are actually customers, HR is offering products and services, and some of them that they like and some of them that they don't. Rather than blame the customer, I'm like, hang on, this is customer feedback. They don't mm. like this performance review system. They're rejecting it. I have to chase them, remind them 18 times. That's not a problem with them. It's a problem with mm. me, right? So blowing up this hierarchy, blowing up this bureaucracy is really good. What does scale is treating people like adults, mm. giving them opportunities to make decisions and empowering them to do the right thing. So I'm really proud that last year, NASDAQ threw away their dress code policy. We had a 10-page mm. policy on what men and women could and could not wear in the office. And then our new CEO and the team around her said, you know what, we, we're treating people like children. If you mm. treat people like adults, you'll have very, very, very few exceptions. Are, are people going to come to work naked? Mm. I don't mm. think so. I really mm. don't think so. So our new policy is please wear what's appropriate for your meetings that day, mm. period, right? If you're meeting with a client from the banking industry, you may want to think about putting on a suit. If you're meeting with somebody from a tech startup on the West Coast, Maybe you wear your hoodie. Use good judgment. We're not going to give you a bunch of rules around that. So I'm really thrilled that we're blowing up the old ways of doing it. And I think the worries about scale are, are reasonable questions to ask. But the reason people feel they're losing control of the scale is they're still trying to control it. If you empower and put it on the individuals and on the managers, 
they will figure it out. Give them some high level guidance, like dress appropriately for your meetings that day. And men and women will use good judgment and they will put on appropriate clothing. They'll be fully clothed every day of the week and you won't really have a lot of problems. That's mm. been our experience. We have really smart, talented people. They don't need you to spoon feed them all the answers and they don't like a lot of policies. Just let me get my good work done. That's interesting. Scale. Interesting. And, and, and in, in your experience, like you have worked with LinkedIn, you have worked with uh, private companies, not public, but uh, they are, they have always enjoyed a hockey stick growth. They've always enjoyed like hyper growth. So growing as they're figuring out how to do what to do. And now you are at a company which is very regulated, which is very obviously it, it, it's, it's, it's what we look, look up to and then what regulation looks like. So right. how has it made your job harder or easier when it comes to working on a very uh, hyper growth software company vis-a-vis a very regulated software company, uh, if that's the way to put it? So what a great question. And I, I would say that my approaches, my philosophy is very similar, but the context is very different. Coming from a small startup or then eventually a public startup, there's some regulation, particularly when you're public. You have to comply with SEC, you know, governance and SOX and all this stuff, Sarbanes-Oxley. Um, but NASDAQ, as a market maker, we actually are mm. the market in many countries. We're considered mm. critical infrastructure in many jurisdictions, mm. and we're highly, highly regulated. So much as I would like to, I can't just throw out all the policies and regulations. You know, we answer to jurisdictions around the world, and we're very, very serious and thoughtful about that. We don't want to break the rules or be any, any unethical behavior whatsoever. That being said, I think there are times when people can say, oh no, we can't even consider that because we're regulated. The mm. SEC would never approve that. Well, have you asked? Have you thought about it? You know, have mm. you really weighed, this is the way we do things around here and we have for 40 years versus this is the year 2019 and we're becoming a much more empowered employee first, customer first environment. Building around their needs may lead you to different conclusions than the way you did it 30 years ago. Mm. And so I'm not here to make anyone look bad or throw them under the bus, but I'm trying to encourage new and innovative thinking. And one reason I joined NASDAQ is I'm a big fan of our CEO, Adina, and she is very clear on the situation that if we want to make a more innovative, faster growing, even a hockey sticks kind of company, it's about the culture as well as the products and the customers. You can't have an innovative, product line, if you don't have an empowered employee population who says, I'm allowed to come up with new ideas. I'm allowed to you know, break things and do them differently. That's how innovation works. You take intelligent risks. You don't take stupid risks. You don't, you know, you don't throw out all the, all the policies, regulations. But mm. the culture really does drive the outcomes of the business. And so while Adina is very focused, as I am, on products and, and markets and, and doing the right thing, we also want to think differently. And so you have to have a culture of openness and, and willingness to try new things, even in a regulated environment. And I think there's one reason why some of these companies do have hockey sticks growth. Mm. They are truly thinking new ways, like really getting rid of the old thinking of the new. If NASDAQ wants to become one of those innovative, fast growth companies, we have a lot to learn from our colleagues around the world. Interesting. Interesting. And um, if, if you look at, say, um, your peers within the industry like what are some of the pitfalls that you see that um, you see uh, a, a peer uh, uh, employee engagement executive doing or, or they don't get it 
about uh, what like how to do the employee engagement right what what's your what's your thought on that well so i think one of the challenges in the financial industry believe it or not is there's so much money mm. and when there's so much money you don't have a life or death existential crisis like oh my gosh if mm. we don't get this right we may not be having this conversation next year right mm. when you have a lot of money you can coast for quite a while you may not have crazy crazy growth but you have enough money coming in the door that you don't you're not forced to rethink things mm. my last company Palo Alto Networks our founder was still with mm. the company and he would say things i probably won't get the exact wording right but he would say things like it's kind of a gift when you don't have enough resources mm. that you think you need because you are forced to think differently mm. and i will, i'm proud to say nasdaq is quite lean i'm sure our investors love to hear this we just reported our operating margins this with us yesterday and they're mm. quite strong and they're stronger than they were five years ago. We're a lean company, but that's forcing me to try to be really creative and really clever, not by myself, but from the employees. I don't have a lot of money. What's another way to do that? Or how could we completely reimagine and reinvent that? If I had $5 million, I might not have to think that way, but I have to. My budget mm. is small. Even my travel budget is tiny. I, I can fly economy if I have to, right? But um, that, that's forcing me to go in new ways and to be innovative. And I think some of my fat cat financial counterparts, they're sitting pretty for now. Let's check mm. back in five years. Let's check back in five years and see how it's going. That's that's a very um, interesting point. Um, now, looking at um, an executive who is just starting in, into an HR world, like what what would be your advice to um, a fellow HR employee engagement executive? Like what, what would you advise to those guys? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. So... This is just my personal point of view. You know, there are many, many HR folks. I would say for me, the key thing to think about, particularly in HR, where it's not that natural for some of the HR types, mm. is to really think through what problem am I trying to solve? And the reason I say that is because HR has a history of running things. We run mm. performance reviews. Obviously, they're annual. We run compensation planning. We run succession planning. HR runs a lot of process. And it would be very easy for a new executive to say, I'm just going to learn that process and I'm going to run it. I'm going to run it like an old machine that keeps running. I have some bad news for folks, particularly in the year 2019. Technology is going to automate all that stuff. Mm. That's not value add. Watching the machine work, running this 20-year-old process, you don't need people for that. So my question is, what's the value add? What problem do you think you can solve? Because that's not been done yet. And once you're clear what problem I'm trying to solve, which is, you know, whether it's improving the employee experience, figuring out how to give people career guidance, whatever it may be that's not, you know, a rigorous process yet, mm. then the next question to ask yourself after what problem am I trying to solve is, what would I measure to know that it's become better? Right? What's my baseline? So, for example, this new survey that we're doing, I now have, for the first time ever, baselines around culture. Like, culture has a score. Our leadership wow. has a score. Our managers have an individual score and we have a collective company score. I now know if I want to raise engagement, what my top mm. two drivers are and they have scores. So if I want to improve the employee experience, I want to do X, Y, Z. 
And I'm going to come back in two quarters or a year or whatever and say, have I moved the numbers? How would I know? What problem am I trying to solve? What would I measure to show that it's actually better? Just like you're running a business. Is your market mm. share increased? Have you opened up a new market? Is this product selling 2x what it sold last year? Are your operating margins higher? I want to see HR get much more rigorous around solving problems, not running process, and measuring. And I got to be honest, a lot of HR folks are not trained in this. So it's new mm. territory. They need to spend time with their friends in marketing, their friends in engineering, to get some data-driven approaches and measure the heck out of things and really keep yourself intellectually honest. But if you do that as an HR person, you will stand out because a lot of my colleagues aren't doing this. And you will have the employee's ear, but importantly as well, you will have the executive's and the CEO's ear. When my CEO mm -hmm. gets from me data, she's like, oh, these aren't just Rich's opinions. He's actually done a lot of measurement and I can see what's driving these numbers and I can pull different levers to move the numbers, just like a business. And so our motto right now in this whole HR team here at NASDAQ is run it like a business. You've got mm. customers, you've got products, you've got metrics, you've got timelines, you've got quality measures, run it like a business. And you know what? The business will take you seriously like you are actually a business supporting their business and not like the HR bunnies who throw parties and hang out in the corner and talk about people stuff, you know? Interesting. So when, when I think of employee experience, right? So I, I try to draw some parallel from customer experience, right? So customer experience has been there for quite a while. It has, it has matured um, in, in, in quite a while. And, and when we, we talk to executive at both the levels, right? So in the customer experience side, you have this mentality of transactional knowledge versus relational knowledge, right? So you, you do tell me, would you recommend uh, to your buddy this? And are you satisfied with this transaction that you just did vis-a-vis -vis of quarterly, annually, semi-annually and, and this surveys that, and that sort of establishes um, the finding on those micro uh, areas where you say, okay, the transactional won't tell me, so let me go out and ask them. But when you took, when you, when you look at the employee experience side, when you look at that particular world, the and that's that's my personal observation that majority of information is gathered through this relationship relational surveys, right? So quarterly surveys, annual, semi-annual, and annual, annual surveys. And there is not much insights captured uh, from the, the transactional knowledge that employee does, whether it they swipe a card today, is had had they swiped the card on time today, or like connecting them with their mood and then and then what what's happening. So uh, from your vantage point, like how are you seeing um, the employee experience evolve? Like, do we see uh, even employees getting? more data-driven, like more real-time data-driven, those insights that would help employees that I don't really have to ask these guys, hey, are you suffering? Like I, I know from the data, from the way you are yelling at someone that probably you could be suffering. So how, how would that help? What, what's your take? So there, there's lots of data that I think is underutilized by companies. So many companies are pretty good at measuring turnover, but do they deeply, deeply figure out the causes Right? Mm -hmm. Are you having both transactional data and relational data? So many HR teams do exit interviews and they talk. Mm -hmm. The problem for me is that's unstructured data. It's always mm -hmm. N equals one, right? Mm -hmm. You have hundreds and hundreds of cases of N equals one. 
Johnny's mm-hmm. unhappy, Mary's getting married, Sammy's moving overseas. They're all unique. So we are now doing much more rigorous exit interviews and exit mm. surveys where I ask you to rank your top three things that are dissatisfying mm. you while you're leaving. But we're also rigorously doing onboarding surveys and we're rigorously doing engagement surveys. And guess what? We're asking very, very, very similar questions at each of these points of the employee life cycle. So I can mm. see as a company at the high level, what are the trends? Why are people joining NASDAQ? What's keeping them at NASDAQ? And when they leave NASDAQ, why are they leaving? And then getting commentary, that's the kind of unstructured data on all of that. So I can get both the quantitative and the qualitative insights on that employee Mm. experience. And then on the relational side, as you've mentioned, I'm traveling a lot and I talk to employees face to face. But I try to roll that data up into a structured way as well. How many votes for career engagement? How many votes for compensation? How many votes for more perks and benefits? And we're trying to become much more rigorous around understanding the experience very, very frequently and not once a year. And turnover by itself doesn't tell you that much. That's just a, a piece of data. I want the insight. Interesting. So now let's let's turn the table. Uh, if, if, if I'm an employee and I'm looking at, say, NASDAQ, or if I'm an employee looking at a company, how would I how would I evaluate that without without really getting hired and then figuring out that it's too late for me to react whether it's a good company or not that it's employee centric like being now being on the other side of the table what information could you share to help um, folks understand that the, maybe this is these are the good good indicators that what I'm getting into is more employee centric organization or not. Yeah, great question. So this is the external perspective outside in you're talking about, yeah? Yes. So we are launching a whole new corporate website, probably late June, early July, and I've got some nice territory on that website. So a good chunk of that website is investor relations and products and company history, all important stuff. But I now have some territory as well around careers and around the employee experience. And we're going to be sharing a lot of data and and stories from actual employees and I'm pressing us, I may have to go to the board to get permission, so I'm gonna be careful how I say this, but mm. I would really like us to publish more stats, including our diversity stats, our turnover mm. stats. I'd like to be much more transparent because I think our numbers are actually good. They're not great, we have work to do in every area, but I would mm. like employees to see what's our diversity picture, how many people get promoted every year, how many mm. people get training every year, when people leave, you know, why do they leave? I'm not sure I'll share all of that, but. I want to tell the story more through data and then through actual employee examples of Sally's a scientist. Look at what she's doing all day. This is what makes it her life interesting and why she stays at NASDAQ. So I think, first of all, our own website telling our own story in our own way and being much more transparent than the financial mm-hmm. industry usually is. But also, I'm very well aware people can go on Glassdoor, they can go on LinkedIn, they can go on Indeed, and your listeners may or may mm-hmm. not be aware there's many, many mm-hmm. new sites besides Glassdoor that are Mm. aimed at minority communities, they're aimed at professional women, where they get together and say, what's this company like to be a black employee? What's this company like if I'm a gay employee? What's this company like to be a woman? Am I gonna be harassed? Am I gonna have a good career experience here? So I think there are many ways people can do this kind of research. And I'm well aware people talk about us behind our back. I know this. Mm. And we live in this land of data now. You take a lift, Mm. which is listed with us, and mm. you rate your driver, but your driver rates you, right? So we're in this mm. very transparent, data-driven world. I think I have to help NASDAQ tell the story and tell employees outside, why is this a great place? And the NASDAQ maybe your mom and dad heard about is not the NASDAQ of today. Not that we had a bad reputation, 
I just mm. want to have an absolutely world-class reputation where people say, NASDAQ, oh my gosh, company of my dreams. I would be so lucky to get a job there. I want to mm. tell that story. Interesting. So um, from your vantage point, your personal vantage point, what is the fabric of a successful HR organization? Like, So if, if I look at in a, so HR of future or HR that probably stay relevant in future, what are some of the tenets of those that HR organization? What would you call it? So I think the number one thing for HR or for any for any organization is alignment. Mm. It's almost like you're in the military, which I have not been, but but trying to align a large group of people around a common objective. If you are very aligned around what's our vision, what's our mission, what are we here to do, how mm. do we serve our clients? If people, if every single person can articulate in their own words what that is. I call that alignment. And you can measure that. You can test that. Mm. The next thing is, are you clear on the problems you're trying to solve, which I mentioned earlier? If you mm. have a leader who says, listen, our clients have told us they want this widget, whatever the widget mm. is, to be twice as fast and three times as energy efficient. And we mm. think our competition will have that in six months. Everyone's like, okay. We understand the problem we're trying to solve and we understand the urgency. So we're very, very aligned around that and we're clear on the problem. Then people are very empowered to go get knowledge. They learn without being spoon fed. They go and use their own network. They go on Google, they go do some research. That's mm. how an organization gets people to learn spontaneously. And the reason I raise that is many people want HR or someone else to do like centralized training. No matter how fast we move, centralized, mm it will not be fast enough. And you're seeing the world moving faster and faster and faster. What scales, what's actually effective is empowering each person to go be their own learning agent. Give them resources, sure, mm. but also say, listen, we've got to solve this problem. No one solved it. We don't know how to solve it. We need you to learn about this really, really quickly. And if everyone's aligned around this and everyone's focused on how do I learn this thing to get us to the goal, you will see great results. If you wait to do some, some, some kind of central planning, and six months go by, the customer's already eaten your breakfast. Mm. You're, you're going to go home hungry. That, that's, a, that's a great point. And um, what would you say um, people typically get it wrong about employee engagement or employee experience? So if I say that people confuse us, like what, what would typically people get it wrong about employee experience? Yeah, so I see both HR practitioners, which I'm a little bit more ashamed of, but also people outside of HR who think this way. They think almost like parents with small children, and you're mm. trying to get them to behave. So I'm going to bribe them. Like if I give you a candy bar, will you go to the dentist, which is probably a bad combination, right? But mm. they try to say, listen, if, if we give our employees some new little perk, we're going to wash your car. We're going to wash your dog. We're going to give you on-site massages. Suddenly, magically, engagement's mm. going to jump up, productivity's mm. going to jump up, people are going to stick around longer. I don't think that's true, and there's lots of evidence. And even the Wall Street mm. Journal had a paper on this, had a, had a re research article on this recently. What people really care about is not perks. They care about overall compensation to a degree, but you will leave a horrible boss to go to a different company for less money. I know because I have, right? What, what mm. people really care about is, am I in a company that I believe in? Does this company have values? Are we doing something valuable for the world that I care about? Do I have leadership and management that I trust that's actually helping me and I trust them? 
Do I have colleagues that I actually respect? They work as hard as I do. They're smart. They're talented. And do I have an environment that feels safe, that feels productive? Or are there things in my way that keep me from getting work done, like bureaucracy and approvals and pushback? So to summarize, I think what people really want to be engaged, to have a great experience, is a values-driven, mission-driven company, great mm -hmm. leadership management, great colleagues, and in an environment that is productive, that's empowering, that lets you get stuff done. I think most people want to do a good job and they want to contribute. And companies mm -hmm. get in their way with all kinds of things. Giving them a lollipop or washing their mm -hmm. car will not change the fundamental nature of the workplace. That's actually going to take investment. It's going to take careful planning. And as I've been saying earlier in our session, a lot of listening. You know, mm -hmm. if, if washing your car is the number one employee issue, great, go solve it. I don't think so. And I think if you mm -hmm. ask, you will hear more things like we have. Belonging, inclusion, mm -hmm. career development. Do I see a future at this company? Is my manager giving me the attention that I need to be successful? That's a great environment. Interesting. And people vote with their feet, right? They vote with their feet. Yeah. So if you've added on a lot of perks and people are still leaving, look at the data. Like, be Buddhist about this, right? Look at the facts. <laughs> Don't make up a story. Well, that's, that, that, that's fascinating. Um, so, uh, I think wonderfully put. So, now we are at, at the tail end, tail end of this conversation. And I want to spend a few minutes on your journey, on, on your particular sort of, on yourself. So, we ask all of our guests to share... Uh, some of the traits that has helped them stay successful and sane throughout their progression. Like what would that be? What would you attribute your success to? Um, I would not say this early in my career. I've gotten better as I've gotten further in my career. Really doing my homework such that I have a point of view. And I mean, don't just do what everyone else is doing. Oh, this is how this works. This is, this is how HR runs this process. Maybe, but a lot of people hate it. So research, benchmark, network, get new insights onto how could I do this better. So I've spent a lot of time just trying to get educated. And I don't mean by books and training. I mean by living, mm -hmm. by learning, by talking to colleagues who are smarter than I am, who have been around longer than I am. So have a strong point of view. Because then if you're in the room with your CEO or whomever it is, and they say something that you fundamentally don't dis you disagree with, you can say, actually, I hear you. I have another point of view. Let me tell you why. And the more data-driven and the more factual that is, the more compelling you will be. So I've gotten better at that over the time. I've also tried to really focus, especially in the last 10 years of my career, where my career has taken off as well, surprising synchronicity. I've really focused on what problem am I trying to solve, which mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier, and how would I measure that I've actually moved the needle? It's not happy sheets. Like you have training and people are like, oh, I love the training. That's not a business result. That's just people who enjoyed their day, right? I like you to enjoy your day, but we're here to run a business. So show me that the business is better off. So I've become mm -hmm. obsessed, really, on KPIs and metrics and not made up BS ones, but ones I know the business cares about. So I put together scorecards and I, I measure myself quarterly in my, my team. The whole HR team is running it like a business, right? So I've become much more metrics focused in KPIs. And then the last thing I'll say is in my career, I've really spent time thinking about myself as a business leader, not just an HR leader. I work in HR, mm -hmm. but I work in the business. The more I can speak the language of the business and understand, like, what were our financial results yesterday? We reported on them, right? What's our mm -hmm. operating margin? What's been our, you know, our organic growth rate versus our, our inorganic M&A rate? 
I want to understand mm. the financials. I want to understand the product pipeline. I want to understand what our customers are asking for. I want to understand what the competition is doing and whether they're better or worse than us. The more I learn about the business, the more the business trusts me, that they, I actually get what they're dealing with. And I'm not, I'm not walking with pie in the sky HR stuff like, you should have happier people. And they're like, mm. I'm trying to run a business here, mm. right? So it can't, it's not just about happiness. How do we make people productive, effective, engaged, retained, and measure that? So it's becoming much more business focused. I think it's given me credibility at the senior leadership table. I, I work with my CEO on an almost daily basis now. She wouldn't make time for me if I wasn't helping her be successful. And likewise, she's helping me be successful. So it's been a really good partnership, but I had to earn that place at the table. Interesting. And um, one more thing we ask our guests to share are some of their favorite reads, some of the books that, that, that has really inspired them or some of the books that they like sharing with our listeners and viewers. Yep. So I'm a big fan of Patty McCord. She was the chief mm -hmm. HR officer for many, many years at Netflix. She's now independent mm -hmm. consultant. To my great dismay, I've never met her. So Patty, if you're hearing this, give me a call. Let's go have lunch. But she has a book called Powerful. I believe mm -hmm. the subtitle is Creating a Culture of Freedom and Responsibility. But she and, and Reed Hastings, CEO of Netflix, they mm -hmm. spent a lot of time really rethinking how they do people stuff at Netflix and really throwing out the old rule book. So she's a role model for me of really like reimagining. And she's clear about this. They didn't do it one day. They kind of gradually, inch by inch by inch, thought through, why do we do this? Is it, is it effective? Mm -hmm. How would we know? What are we measuring? So that's a great book. And it's about employee accountability as well as, you know, employee experience in, in the company point of view. I also, this is going way back in my career when I was just a training guy. I was an L&D guy. But a, a book called Running Training Like a Business. And that's mm. when I first got the insight that, you know, the support function shouldn't just be, you know, pretty and nice to look at. They should actually be businesses by themselves. And, and again, measure and metrics and KPIs. Mm. So I recommend both of those. If I could throw in one more, I would say the culture code. And I forget the author. It's escaping my my um, my brain right now. But uh, it's called Culture Code. You can find it on Amazon. And again, it's it's kind of counterintuitive. Starting with uh, trust and things in the culture that are more important than just you know outputs. And so getting getting the basics right, and then adults, men and women, they will align themselves to high expectations. If you have a culture where you don't trust people, and you know it's hard to get things done. Then you'll have all kinds of you know poor results on the other side. Interesting. Um, with that, we are at the last and uh, but not the least of the of, of our conversation. Um, so, if you want um, something that our listeners could take away from this conversation, if you have a closing remark uh, for our listeners and viewers, what would that be? Yeah, I would say in brief, be bold. I want you to really give yourself permission not to do the job you were hired to do. And I don't mean get fired. I mean, mm. go beyond the job you were hired to do. Be bold. Don't just run the process that you inherited, right? Really reimagine. If I could solve some really big problems for my organization, how would I go about that? And if that's not in your job description today, that's okay. Go get the right people. Pull them in from finance or marketing or engineering or information security. Pull together a team and go solve big problems. Don't be limited to your little job description. Be bold and go solve some really hard problems. I promise you, your career will take off. Uh, with that, uh, Rich, thank you so much. I think it was refreshing to hear um, an HR executive who gets it, 
who is totally i think it's i like uh, it's i think it's to me when i was listening to your pitch it's almost like taoism in action so i can hear about buddhism and i can hear about hr tech and then how it's just coming together uh in 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 a in an interesting unison so i do appreciate um uh, whatever you're doing to the community and to the industry so thank you so much on that and super psyched uh for this conversation you're always welcome back on the podcast to share your progress to share what's next in your journey thank you so much for spending uh a good amount of time with us and 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 sharing your wisdom thank you very much vishal pirmalenge <laughs> thank you namaskar yeah, I was sick of home but actually I was homesick never really knew that I would have to grow up so quick I'm so uncomfortable don't know anybody here just a couple dudes that I met once that's it then I go into the booth feeling nervous got butterflies in my stomach like I'm so worthless is the mic gone I don't know how to work this inside I'm breaking down I hope I'm not up on a certain